The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the view of Wolfpack Research or any of its officers. The views and opinions expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. We are not investment advisors. We hold no registrations with the SEC, FINRA, or any other regulatory agency, and none of the opinions expressed on this podcast should be considered investment advice. Listeners should assume that we have positions in and stand to benefit from any stock or other security mentioned on this podcast. Do your own research before making investment decisions. Welcome to the Wolf Den, everybody. This is Dan David back at you with the pack. The pack today is Sound Carl and even better Sound Andrew. <laughs> oh, it's not quite Sound Andrew. Today on our podcast, we have Zach Greenberg from Fire. Fire. <laughs> that is one hell of a name. I love it. Thank you. Fire is the foundation for individual rights and expression. My day job. Therefore, this is going to be a fun conversation. FIRE's mission is to defend and sustain the individual rights of all Americans to free speech and free thought. Can I get a, an applause? Carl, will you put that in later? Okay, that was, that was horrible. The most essential qualities of liberty. FIRE educates Americans about the importance of these inalienable rights. You can look that word up, Carl. It's very important. It promotes a culture of respect. For these rights and provides the means to preserve them. FIRE recognizes colleges and universities play a vital role in preserving free thought within a free society. Not so much anymore, but that just comes from me. <laughs> to this end, they place a special emphasis on defending the individual rights of students, faculty members of our nation's campuses, including freedom of speech, freedom of association, due process, legal equalities, religious liberty, and sanctity of conscience. So all of that. And Zach himself is a senior program officer. Cool. For Individual Rights Defense Program. A native New Yorker, Zach graduated from Binghamton University in 2013 and Syracuse School of Law in 2016. He developed an appreciation for free speech while leading the College Libertarians and Federalist Society. In these roles, he sought to bring those with divergent opinions together for debate and discussion. Boy, I'd like to hear about that. I bet that was fun. Outside of FIRE, Zach serves on the board of directors of the First Amendment Lawyers Association and the Philadelphia Area Alliance. What alliance? Philadelphia Area Disc Alliance, an ultimate frisbee organization right here in Philadelphia. Welcome to the show, Zach. And uh, hey, this is a great thing you're doing, especially focused on universities where I have been very disappointed in the last 10 years. I know FIRE has been in business for about 20 years now. That's correct. Since 1999. Okay. You guys need to step it up because <laughs> <laughs> Berkeley and Harvard and Columbia and the rest of, you know, listen, we go to these colleges and free speech is anything but. So tell me what you're seeing out there, Zach. That's true. And first of all, thanks for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, this is the best job I've ever had. And the opportunity to talk about free speech to people like you is why I do it. It's not looking great out there. We have a mission of fire to put ourselves out of business to solve the problem of free speech on college campuses and now nationwide. And it seems to be getting worse out there. We have a lot of these universities with 
speech code, free speech zones, these really terrible policies that restrict students' free speech rights. And our goal is to make these universities better place for free speech and to teach the culture and the values of free speech to the individuals studying at our nation's colleges and universities. All right. So let's get down to business here, Zach. Sure. Let's start trashing universities. <laughs> Hold on. I, I want to get to my safe zone here. You do? You don't have a safe zone, Carl. The safe space. Say anything you want. Aren't these safe zones really zones where you can't say anything you want? Well, it's, the, it's a misnomer, right? So these universities have these free speech zones, these uh, tiny out-of-the-way areas on these universities where you can say generally whatever you want. You can protest. You can table. You can pamphlet. And pass out constitutions, what not, what have you. And the sinister part about these free speech zones is that the rest of the universities are not free speech zones. So you have a free speech gazebo, University of Texas, free speech swamp, University of Hawaii, where these really small areas of campus, campuses that have uh, tens of thousands of students, we can't possibly fit in the free speech zones. You have these very tiny out of the way areas, which is say what they want, but the rest of the campus they can get punished for speaking about whatever issues they're passionate. Well, give me some examples of some really ridiculous issues that you could get punished for speaking about. We've seen it all here at FIRE. Any possible issue you can imagine that's been debated at, a, at an inner society has been censored at a university. Recent cases at, at UPenn, a group tried to start a hunting shooting and rifle club, which seems pretty innocuous, right? Many yeah. universities have these groups and they were denied. They couldn't do it. Yet almost a year later at another university, the group tried, students tried to start a vegan club, a club that advocated for animals, the opposite of the issue. And they were told they could not do that because it causes emotional harm to other individuals. <laughs> for for so people really, who do eat animals? You have both sides of every issue. You can, you can talk about Democrats, Republicans, the Israeli Palestinian debate. You can talk about Trump, not Trump, Whatever you want to do, it's been censored on a university, and that's not okay. I totally get the the Trump, not Trump thing. I don't agree with it, but I'm more interested in some of the little out-of-the-way stuff like you brought up. Who would have thought that you were going to start a vegan club and a university shut it down? I imagine that was yeah. Oral Roberts University, right? That wasn't <laughs> Berkeley. <laughs> I mean, what university was that? Oh, I, I got I to look it up. It was a while ago, but what happened was the, the student group wanted to get registration for their club. That way they can reserve tables, they can request funds, they can function as a viable organization. And I believe it's something to do with, like, the university said it was an, a liability issue, some sort of emotional, legal liability, harm to others, vague, amorphous principle that couldn't have the club. I'm going to look at this case for like, it's a club that advocates for not eating animals. Like, they're not going to join the Taliban over here, right? Right. It's like, you should be able to, to have whatever clubs you want in a university. I, my brother went to Cornell, upstate New York. They have like a thousand student clubs there. You can, you can live action role play. You can right. build trebuchets. You can go out to the wilderness <laughs> and just hike all the time. That's how it should be. These are students. They should be able to, to live their lives. I remember like five years ago, helping my, my niece build a trebuchet and yeah. For, for her senior class project. You did a catapult? <laughs> no, it was a trebuchet. Which is a catapult. They're very different, different. sir. Different. I mean, just, yeah, tell them, Zach. It's a big difference. I was, I was a naval history major. That was a major in college. One of the most useless majors you can possibly imagine. That's why I went to law school. And a catapult shoots at the walls yeah. 
to break them down. A trebuchet shoots over the walls right. to hit the city behind it. Right. Yeah, a little better. Try not to explain anything to Carl, Zach. It's just, it's... <laughs> I love doing this. This is, this is a, always a great day. What you're typically running into here, are these, these issues that seem small and little freedoms kind of taken away, just add up. They really add up to big freedoms being taken away. So tell they me, do. what does FIRE do about it? To, to me, you sound like the real ACLU. Yeah, or what they used to For be. like everybody. I imagine you have a smaller budget. A little smaller, a little smaller. Yeah. But the, the mission is similar in that our, our singular goal, like you read, is to defend free speech. We are nonpartisan. We're experienced. We defend the rights of everybody, anybody, who's protected by the First Amendment, free speech standards. And we do this unapologetically. We're not going to apologize for defending the rights of offensive or annoying or controversial speech because that speech is protected robustly by the First Amendment. And it's important to us to fight for, even like you said, the little free speech violation. We had a student who was in trouble for posting a flyer on the university that said, don't gain the freshman 15, take the stairs. He was angry <laughs> at people using That's the terrible. elevator. And I think he has some sort of issue where he had to use the elevator. He went handicapped or something, but he wanted people to use the elevator and he got in trouble for posting that flyer. And it seems innocuous. It seems silly. Just don't, you don't have to fight. it. just like take it laying down, graduate college job. But really the issue here is the principle. You should be able to say what you want to say in a university. The students should not be in trouble for their expression. And it creates a chilling effect. Whenever you punish one student for what they say, every other student is chilled. They're, they will self-censor accordingly to, to not get in trouble like they did. And that creates a detrimental culture and climate for free speech at universities. That example, I could have saw that ass kicking coming. <laughs> right. You had something to say, Carl? And I guess it's tied to free, free speech because it was what, Shank versus the U.S. in 1919? Yelling fire yeah. in the crowded theater. I've heard people argue you can't, but everyone says you can't, but I've heard people argue that you can. It's legal because it's free, part of free speech. You just have to deal with the consequences of yelling fire in that crowded theater. That's where the legality comes in. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. So you can yell fire in a crowded theater. Yes, but then if somebody gets trampled and dies, you're going to have to deal with the consequences. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think everybody else knew that, Carl. No, everyone just says you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, and they just No, they don't. Well, look, you know, I've got a lot of experience with with that particular. You've yelled fire in a theater a lot? No, I mean, as an activist short, 10 years ago, when when it really started becoming a business model, lawyers would stand up and say, look, you're yelling fire in a crowded theater. The problem was the theater was on fire. Yeah. So, and that was their problem, and they sued and they lost. They sue a lot less these days, but that's the thing about, I find, with the law, the legal profession. And I've had these debates with some college professors who are also lawyers. I won't say that it was Columbia. <laughs> but Josh Bitts. Well, it wasn't exactly him. It was, I think it was his boss, actually. On a dime, everybody will say, every lawyer will say, free speech is the most important thing, and we defend it, and we can't lose it. It's what makes our country great. But my point to them is, yeah, unless I have something negative to say about you or one of your clients, and then you sue me. Yeah. At the same time, we are taking advantage of our courts and really stuffing them. 
Would you agree? When it comes to fighting for free speech, the most important thing is to understand what is free speech? What are we talking about here? What do we mean when we say defending free speech? And suing people for saying things they don't like about you or being mean and controversial, that's not free speech. It's shutting somebody up. If you're using the legal system to punish people for what they say, that's not free speech. At FIRE, we try to make it clear to courts, to the general public, and especially to attorneys, that the freedom of speech entails protecting the widest array of ideas and views, including ideas that you may find offensive or annoying. We see the big uh, free speech but crowd. I believe in free speech, but yeah. hate speech shouldn't be legal. I believe in free speech, but people shouldn't say bad things about Biden or Trump or the pandemic or Israel. And that's, you can't have it both ways. You either believe in free speech unapologetically defending those that say bad things about you, or you don't believe in free speech. And that's fine. No one has, you don't have to believe in free speech, but it, posing yourself as a free speech advocate, while, like you said, using the courts, using lawyers to shut up your adversaries, that's a bit hypocritical to me. And still going on, does this fire just really focus on universities, or do you delve outside that at all? We primarily focus on universities, but we are doing litigation and educational efforts uh, outside campus. So we, we just filed a lawsuit against the New York State Senate, for example, for blocking people on their social media pages. Obviously a case outside the university, but still within the principle of the First Amendment, the government cannot block its critics. That's right. No, they cannot. They, they, they're going to lose now. Remind AOC of that. Yeah. Deleting people on Twitter. Not that there aren't a whole uh, bunch of people on the right that do the same thing. I guess I was going to ask, though, I mean, do you do in the in the primary system at all? It seems like there's a lot going on in primary education, a lot of arguing and back and forth and maybe some suits being filed there. Yeah, we have our high school outreach program do work with mostly teachers to teach First Amendment curriculum to their students before they even get to college. So way they get to college with understanding of how free speech First Amendment actually works. We generally don't take high school cases because the law is unfavorable. High school students are considered uh, minors, children in the eyes of the law, mm-hmm. and they don't have their full complement of free speech rights like college students do. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's generally difficult to, to win those cases. But we do advocate for legislative solutions to free speech problems. We advocate against laws attempting to uh, ban books, for example, and to restrict um, you know, what teachers can teach. And our, our goal with universities is the same with, with primary schools, that these schools should respect their students' rights up to the extent of the law, and they should be places where students are free to speak about the issues that, that they're passionate about, and they should not be punished for, say, uh, sending Snapchats or posting online uh, mean things about each other. Right, but there's a line that we can cross there as well. Right. Especially a minor and pictures and things of that nature. I know this has gotten way out of hand in some cases, and hopefully I feel like it's gotten reined in a bit. You'd want kids to understand free speech from a very young age, and that's what makes us different. I guess you're saying that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's important that from a young age, people understand why we have free speech and why it's valuable and and what it means and what it doesn't mean. Looking at this, I don't know if you break down statistics. Do you see that there are more cases of conservatives trying to shut down liberals in free speech or liberals trying to shut down conservatives? I know that you're agnostic in who you defend. It's the issue that matters. But right. generally, what side does that fall on? Or do you not keep any statistics with that? 
it's funny, we get this question a lot and we did an internal audit of our own advocacy and it turns out most of our cases are actually apolitical. It's simply a university administrator enforcing the rules against students because the rules are there and because students happen to be there. A great example of this is at upstate New York, uh, the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, RPI. They had the student-run union, this big university uh, building that's been run by students for 100 years and the university tried to take it over which of course students were very angry about. And they had flyers, had a campaign, they had a whole advocacy movement. And university was tearing the flyers, they were recording students, they were saying you can't protest, you can't advocate. And this is just a local like, you know, student university administrative issue. It's not conservative or liberal, it's just a, a group of students trying to save their union. And most of our cases are like that. They're just administrators trying to assert their power and abusing their authority and using their, the policies and the books that, that are already there to restrict students' rights. Somebody that with with a monicum of power trying to make it bigger. Exactly, exactly. A lot of bureaucracy, a lot of power tripping. It's it's kind of sad. I've got experience speaking at colleges, less and less. <laughs> but I have to tell you that what I've noticed, especially with our bigger universities, there's a real liberal slant to it. Mm -hmm. It's not apolitical at all. So I'm trying to wonder how we got into this group thing. I mean, is it a matter of there are at one point, 60% of the faculty is, you know, on one side of the political uh, spectrum, 40% is on the other, and then that 60% just grows into 80 or 90% or close to 100? Because it seems like the faculties in these schools don't have a problem with each other. Mm -hmm. They seem to all agree with each other. It's whether right. they agree with us or not. I mean, wh what's your view on that? That's interesting because you mentioned something about, about viewpoint diversity. To what extent does the university have an obligation to ensure that all views are represented? And when you don't believe in that, when you think it's okay to only have, say, just the liberal viewpoint presented, you create a situation where you have all these students, all these faculty members who may look different but think the exact same way. And that creates really ripe opportunities for censorship and for groupthink and for kind of striking out the outsider. If you have a, even a faculty department of, say, you know, 90 liberals and one conservative, it's going to be difficult for the conservative person to, to get tenure. To They're going to leave. Yeah. Or they'll leave. And now then you have nobody. And same thing with students. If, if a student has, has participated in their classroom and, you know, they have to raise their hand and say their piece. And the first 80 kids for them said that Democrats are right. Conservatives are evil. Trump supporters are terrible. They're going to feel chilled. They're going to have a, an issue speaking out for the conservative viewpoints, and they're gonna feel self-censored or perhaps even punished for their beliefs. And so I think the lack of viewpoint diversity contributes to this really corrosive culture of free speech in higher education. How pervasive is it now? Because when I was growing up, the lack of diversity viewpoint was in conservative universities down right. south. I mean, right. they're, and they were famously so, and they probably still are. But now it seems like some of our, our bigger universities have a the polar opposite kind of group thing is there anywhere in the middle or have you just seen it getting worse it's tough because in the universities that you promise free speech do tend to have this this group thing and it's difficult because many of the universities that choose their professors that choose their students who matriculate there liberally choose students of a certain background a certain uh, political political persuasion which only exacerbates the problem so i think the problem is getting worse 
because of just the lack of free speech culture. But honestly, the problem is inherent in all universities, whether it's liberal, univer- liberal universities down south, up north, coastal schools, private state schools. It's really an issue that affects higher education in general. And you do have some schools out there that do have a really good job, really good program of fighting for free speech and teaching students the value of it. But that's kind of the minority of what many universities are doing when it comes to their students. But I don't even think it's it's the liberals versus the conservatives. I think if you look at like a classic liberal, they're still kind of in that in-between phase. The professor at Evergreen who, who got tossed out, right? That type of speech, he, he was just looking for middle ground, really, to kind right. of talk yeah. about something. And the students almost, well, the students revolted and the faculty went along with it. That's how you know it's a big issue when you have liberals attacking liberals not being liberal enough, right? Brett Weinstein is a self-professed Well, oh, that's happening a lot more. That's happening a lot more. Yeah, because he wasn't liberal enough. And that's, that's, you know, it's a big problem where people even within their own party and their own persuasion can't even have these civil discussions of the pressing issues of our society. That's not even just Trump supporters attacking Bernie supporters. It's, it's simply Democrats can't even talk to other Democrats. And the, the, the lack of an ability to, to understand and to um, even confront opposing viewpoints is only getting worse. And that's something we try to fight against the fire to, to have more tolerance and a, and a bigger, broader free speech culture. I read the University of California system is actually putting it into their human resources department where they're trying to make sure professors are liberal. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of what? Yeah, As if they're the not biased enough. Uh, hold on. What are you doing about that, Zach? And why are you sitting here talking to me? <laughs> uh, yeah. We, we have a lot of these, uh, we call them DEI cases, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a popular term, which we heard of it before, where universities will require professors to adhere to a certain set of political viewpoints that are defined with the university, usually some sort of social justice esque advocacy here these are private universities though right not public these are both public and private schools. oh that's right. a, that's that is bullshit man if this is a a public university you can't do that and the funny part is we already fought against this there's over decades ago we had the whole like have you ever been a communist legal fight at these universities oh, professors and the courts have said you can't require professors to profess a political viewpoint as a condition of their job. And yet here we are 30 years later talking about professors being required to, for loyalty to DEI initiatives to even get a job there, which is completely not okay. There are cases working its way through the system right now. There are. How high have they gotten? I mean, I, I don't know how you could possibly lose. I mean, have any been adjudicated? Well, one thing that we try to do, we try to find plaintiffs. We try to find professors that want to fight this thing. A lot of them don't want to fight it. They kind of just want to just put their heads down and, you know, keep their job. It's their livelihood. I get yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But our, I think our most powerful argument here is showing the university how bad these are. A university would be obviously against requiring commitment to patriotism to be a professor there. Mm-hmm. They would be against requiring commitment to conservative values to be a professor there. Mm-hmm. Likewise, the principal viewpoint neutrality of the First Amendment states, you can't require them to be professed to DEI to have a job there. So we try to show them, kind of kind of get them to see the light here, why this is problematic and how this can inure to the detriment of the professor at the university. So far, we haven't had, we haven't had too much success. Maybe there will be some litigation down the line. I get it. Everybody's got to have a job, but 
you're just professing loyalty to something other than free speech, what are you really teaching? It's also like, like professors are STEM, they're, they're geology professors, physics, like show me why you got to have a <laughs> physics professor who teaches social justice, right? What's the, what's the angle there? I get social science to make sense, but a lot of times just not even applicable to their job performance, their pedagogy. Well, breaking news, Zach, the, the uh, anthropologists have now said that we will no longer assign gender to ancient bodies that we found because we don't know what their true self was. I bet they did. <laughs> I'm not sure that comes up in your work. Does it, the gender identity thing? Not I not wouldn't quite. think so. Yeah, I would encourage you not to get involved. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. I appreciate it. I don't really see a way uh, out of so it. There's no safe way. Just be kind to people, period. End of Absolutely. statement. Absolutely. Do you guys delve into, or do you see any, any issues where foreign influence has kind of corrupted free speech? Because you know, I've done a lot of fraud investigations in China. As Carl would say, newsflash, there's no free speech there. Right, right. And look, I just know for a fact from all the years of doing the work, they will have a, somebody reporting to the Communist Party as a part of the student body. And they really push a narrative of pro-China. Right. Three or four years ago, there's a big deal. You can't call yourself Hong Kongese or yeah. Chinese students yeah. would just, you know, flip out. And the faculty supported them. Right. What's that all about? It's problematic because I imagine universities are under lots of pressure from foreign entities and from domestic entities to censor speech, whether it's speech pro-China, anti-China, universities are very much public institutions here. They are part of their community. And yeah, we do see some instances where somebody would put anti-Chinese speech out there and they would try, they get punished. I don't know how saying I'm, I'm Hong Kongese is anti-Chinese speech, but that seems to be enough to get it done. Yeah, even the most innocuous things, referencing Kansas Square Massacre. That that could that could trigger. That could be enough. Seems you know very simple and very quick, but that could be enough to trigger the the calls to censor and to punish this person. Have you taken any of those cases? So it's difficult because one thing Fire tries to ensure, and this is a bit of a tangential issue, is that when American students study abroad, other universities, these universities to protect their free speech rights. The, I think Columbia has a university in Qatar, and they promise the students there you have free speech rights, but you go to Qatar and you say bad things about the monarchy, whatever the government is there, then you can get punished. And of course, if the students are in America and they say they're Chinese nationals there, we, we urge universities to protect their rights, that their students, they're protected by the First Amendment, don't sell them out to foreign governments, don't deport them and say, are we, we stop some value of your policies, here you go. We don't see too many of those cases, they usually don't contact fire, but we urge them to do so. We'd be happy to defend their rights if it never came to it. Look, if you're going to Cutter and you're going to say something negative about the monarchy, I don't care who tells you that's okay. They're lying. It's the university. They say you can go here. And you they, can mean, they mean you can go in your room by yourself and say it. Otherwise, that's going to be a very, very tough pull. True. You know, same True. thing with any yeah. universities that are doing any kind of foreign exchange with um, Saudi Arabia. Bad okay. idea. A lot of that. But uh, in, in China, look, you can't do that either. A lot of other countries, and you have to look at a certain point when you're actually in another country. Yeah. You do have to yeah. respect the laws there. You have to know where you are, where you're going, and what you're doing. You had right. the choice, I think, to go there. What, what I worry yeah. about is, is here and the chill on free speech. 
what I've said is that China is exporting a chill on free speech mm-hmm. to the United States. And it, it's happened over and over again. It's not just organizing a student body to, to go after certain people, but it's the soft influence of money. Right. And a lot of it. So whatever you can do to help with that as well, I, th- I think our universities are becoming problematic, which is why we had you on the show. Because it used to be a place where, you know, you're going to go to educate yourself or if nothing else, drink yourself into a coma. Uh, <laughs> and this is what universities are for. They're not to beat down people into a, a, a system that's being contrived of robots who aren't conservative enough or aren't liberal enough. And there are all these tests for that, right? Right. The goal is to teach people how to think, not what to think. And especially liberal arts-wise, you should have your deepest beliefs challenged in the universe. Otherwise, you should get your money back. The goal of education is to kind of upset your views. It's to have a more expansive worldview and figure out who you are as a human being. And if you're not being challenged, not being exposed to unsettling speech, then you can't do that. And it's sad people do graduate college with the same views they've held since high school. Like you can change your mind. You can be open. It's your prerogative to educate yourself about the world around you and see if what it really is. And if you're not going to have that free speech at the university, then you, you probably aren't going to find it in the real world either. No. This remote learning kind of changed things, I bet, for you guys. Yeah, because definitely. In a certain way, I know a lot of parents were just like, now they're really seeing what their kids are being taught because they're, I mean, it's on their computer at home and they're, they're listening in and it fired up a lot of parents, not a lot of STEMs being taught anymore, but you'd be in a position where you'd have to defend a school that's teaching critical race theory, right? Because that's their right. That's free speech. Absolutely. I learned about it when I was in law school, schools teach about it now. And the government has no place telling colleges what they can teach, what they can't teach. That's, that's the university's prerogative. Right. And you're not really into the primary part of it, right? It's a little different. Yeah. It is a little different. I mean, like in college, you can choose to accept, uh, you know, take the class or not take the class. In primary school, you can't really choose. Didn't fire come right. out against, was it a law in Florida that was banning CRT? Or didn't you come out against uh, some of the laws in Florida that they were pushing on public schools? Yeah, I think I just said that. That's 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 their job to do. I mean, whether you like critical race theory or not, it's free speech. Do you think that uh, parents should take control at a school board level rather than a state legislator saying, you know, this is what you can teach and this is what you can't? Yeah, these institutions, whether they be primary or secondary, mostly universities, but also to an extent high schools, they have their own personal rights to to determine their curriculum and to figure out what what they teach, who they teach, who teaches for them. It's important to have that decision be made, like you, like you said, at the school board level, at the curriculum, at the faculty level, at the teacher level. And it's, it's never a good thing when legislatures, politicians are dictating what can and cannot be taught. Of course, it's all within the, the grounds of relevant pedagogy. So if they're teaching two plus two equals fish or that gravity doesn't exist, you know, that's a bit of an issue. We can, we can deal with that individual professor level. The earth is flat. But Earth is flat, <laughs> wait, right? Wait, flat Earth society, they yeah. exist. Oh, I know they do. I've, I've seen them pass out pamphlets. Well, in Pennsylvania, uh, evolution comes up about every 10 years in some little school district somewhere. Evolution's a big one. As an open furzy person, Earth is flat, I'm very popular in that community. Yeah. Um, right. But I have to say, uh, 
yeah, when it comes to these social science things like critical race theory, it's usually a decision that's best left up to the faculty, the institution itself, the university, and not politicians. Have you ever ran into one of those people, Zach? Yeah. Flat, I mean, I was at a, a campaign event at one point, uh, and it was an outdoor park. This lady, along with three other people, men and women, is passing out these pamphlets. The earth is flat. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. What does it stand for? She's like, well, well, well the earth is flat. And I was like, yeah, I, I get it. Is that an acronym? And you're like, what's your point here? F-L-A-T. No, the earth is flat. And I'm like, get the F out of here. Seriously. And they were they were dead ass serious, man. The earth is flat. And I'm like, you have obviously never been 30,000 feet or 40,000 feet in the air. Right, right. You uh, You hear the whole, like, birds aren't real. Well, yeah. wait, wait a minute, though. That guy, that guy one. was fantastic because I, I forget the guy's name. Carl can look it up, but he decided that he found so many ridiculous theories, basically around Trumpism and a lot of things there from what he right. says. I, I heard his story firsthand uh, on the radio or something. And he decided, what's the craziest thing I could I could say? I could go to places like these flat earthers do and say, you know, birds aren't real. And came up with a whole narrative, and then people started following it. There are T-shirts, hats. There's everything. There's towels, umbrellas. Well, I mean, I have one, but it's 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 to make fun of them. (laughs) Peter Mickendo. Yeah, Yeah, Peter Mickendo. Yeah, and you know when birds are on the power lines, that's just them charging themselves. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) charging. Oh yeah. Well. I take it you're not dealing with any of that crud. Do you have to deal with the flat earthers? I, I guess you have to defend them, don't you? Yeah, I think we had a couple cases where students tried to start a flat earth society student group, yeah. you know, on a university. And then the university was like, sure, go for it. Let them do it. Right. They want to start the flat earth society. That's, that's their prerogative. Go for it. And the universities were fine class. with it? Yeah. What do they have to lose, right? They're just some kids going around talking about flat earth stuff. That's, to me, that's, you know. As long as they're not vegans, it's fine. As long as they're not vegans. Yeah. As long as you're talking about Israel, you're totally fine. Yeah, well, look, that's been a third rail for, I don't know, uh, 1949. What's the math there? I mean, <laughs> and, and prior. Uh, and it's still going to be for a while. Never stop. Yeah. Peace in the Middle East. That is not something we're going to solve or fire is going to get to. I mean, you guys got your hands full here. I appreciate what you do. And I want to get to a part where people can donate and figure out how they can contact you. But I do have to say, you got to get bigger faster. That's the goal. We're hiring more people. We're getting more attorneys, more communication professionals. We're obviously soliciting more donations, getting more campaigns. But yeah, the goal is that this become uh, the PR firm for the First Amendment in America. The First Amendment is uh, like the Lorax, right? It doesn't have any tongue. It needs to speak, speak for speak itself. For the trees. It needs to have a, uh, a, a mouthpiece and to have defenders that are principled and nonpartisan and apologetic. And that's what we're trying to be. Is that Dr. Seuss thing? Dr. Seuss, yeah. He Dr. got banned, Seuss. too. Yeah, sorry. I've screwed Dr. Seuss' reference. My apologies. Well, I mean, yeah, as, as Carl just said, he got banned as well. Yeah, he did. I think he I think did. it was the green eggs and ham thing, wasn't no, it? No, the, the uh, run a zoo. Oh. Run a I zoo. have that book. <sighs> but get it fast before, before it gets banned. Get it fast before it gets banned? Oh, no, it's, it's gone. gone. It's, they stopped printing. you got to find them. They were selling oh. on eBay for thousands of dollars. Wow. Yeah. Again, get bigger, faster. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us, I mean, how do, how do people find you? I don't imagine it's the easiest thing in the world to just, you know, Google fire and you pop up. You might have a few things ahead of you on search. 
It's true. There's a uh, Del Fuego, which is, of course, the fire in uh, Spanish right next to us. Those Mexican burritos. But no, we are uh, thefire.org. <laughs> That's our website, thefire.org. Easy to find. On our website, we have ways for people to get in contact with us, to get more resources, guides about free speech, the law, the policies. And we encourage everybody, students, parents, lawyers, administrators, to get in touch with us. We'd love to speak with you. Love to talk about free speech. Happy to help out. Everything we do is free, right? We're talking about free help here, free advocacy. We're, we're, we're happy to do this kind of work. And we do it willingly and happily. And like I said, best job I've ever had for six years and i love it so please reach out to us at fire.org we would love to hear from you uh and do you have a, a twitter handle or any of the, do you guys tweet at all do you we're, we're everywhere a twitter tiktok instagram facebook at thefire.org or at just the fire we're going to inspire logo and we're all there we post most of our breaking news um on social media and on press releases so keep up with what's happening in universities happening in the world of free speech and you can even subscribe to our email list. We're all, all there, all the time. We uh, 24-7, never stops, and we'd love to do it. We sound like you, you like your job a little less when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> We're all there all the time, 24-7. Every uh, time. Like it we, never we do it. ends. <laughs> what do you put never, on TikTok? Ever, ever. I mean, do you guys juggle while you're, uh, while you're arguing a case? What's on TikTok? We did TikTok. They got 250,000 views uh, a couple of weeks ago explaining the difference between free speech and hate speech, why hate speech is in fact protected by the First Amendment. It was like 10 yeah. seconds long. And it was great. Hopefully this, the, the kids or whoever's looking at TikTok nowadays are looking at that. Oh, what do you know? It's new about free speech today. And that's the goal is to reach the younger generation. You know, we're not getting any younger. So it's important for us to uh, reach the college students out there and, and to spread the good word about free speech. Well, I guess we'll link that in our notes when we uh, put out the show. Maybe you'll get a few more views. I mean, you'll get, you'll get at least one more when I see it. But uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Uh, you, you really are doing God's work. That is important stuff. I tell people the one thing I do love about my job as well is that all I have to do is, you know, tell the truth all day. And I don't have to put up anybody's BS, just the truth. I might get sued for it, but... You know what? I am telling the truth. And most people in most professions cannot say that. At some point, they're signing, apparently at universities, they're signing something that says, I believe in this, that, or the other thing to get a job. That's not telling the right. truth. Congratulations on your career. We look forward to following Fire, The Fire. Yeah, on all your social media platforms. And we wish you much success. Reach out to us anytime you have something that you want to discuss or to put out there. We're part of that free speech platform. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Zach. Be well.